It is your birthday. Mommy's gonna be mad. Mums. I've always wanted to meet a paw wraith. A good waste extraction system is important. Imagine where we'd be without one. That's the breakfast of choice on the day shift. I'll have a Ractagino. <laughs> I'll have an, an assignment. Season 5, episode 5, the assignment is over. We're just getting started here on Deuce's Night at Nine-ish, covering everything to do with this episode. It's all about Keiko getting taken over by a paw wraith and Chief O'Brien having to to deal with it, maybe committing a little bit of treason along the way. We'll, we'll discuss all that here with a great selection of panelists. We have, as always, my brother Dave Mater. Dave, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Congratulations, Jeff, on the birth of your child. Oh, yes, thank you. Yes, happened on uh, Saturday morning. Yes, the 12th of February. Mark the dates. Prudence Mater. Prudence Page Mater. She's, this is her third day of life. Loving every every day of yes. it. Geyser every, poops all, all all around. Geyser poops <laughs> and and all. Uh, we also have Davin Skellhorn. He's joining us here on another episode of DC's Ninety Nine. He has a little girl. He can uh, give us all sorts of little things uh, to talk about that. And also this episode, the assignment. He's a Keiko defender. Davin, how are you? I am. I am the defender of Chow. Yes, the, the legendary <laughs> defender of Chow. Rosalind Chow. Um, Yep. Um, yes. Also, congratulations, Jeff. I can't wait for uh, little Edith to meet little Prudence one day. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll be fun. That'll Got a new setup there, Davin. You're in your new digs. I am. I survived the move barely. My God, it was a nightmare. But anyway, let's talk about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin. Uh, yeah, you're not going anywhere. You're you're secure here. Uh, ready to yeah. talk about this episode, the assignment. Uh, how are you, Kevin? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, definitely ready for this one. I am too, because there's some exquisite acting that we need to talk about <laughs> in this episode. Uh, and also, I have to talk about the theory about Julian Bashir, but we will get there. Uh, <laughs> Is he a changeling? He is absolutely a changeling. He's not a changeling. <laughs> All right, I will talk about this, but first we need to introduce Jamil Robinson. Jamil, let's bring him in. How are you? Are you ready to talk about some Keiko of it all? I'm doing well. Uh, congratulations to you, Jeff, and also you. to you, Dave. As oh, well. The whole family, you know, yeah. but yeah. mostly no, no, mostly no. Amanda. Just you, just uh, Dave, just and me. also Amanda, too, because she helped. Seven, so. not Jeff. And I said Jeff. Okay. I went Jeff. like this in the uh, in the uh, OR. I went, Ugh. yeah. So that helped. Yeah, the House exactly. of Savoy grows. The House of Savoy. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the Julian Bashir uh, of the. Just real quick, because there are some moments in this episode where I am convinced that he's already the changeling. And, and like that's where you want to start. <laughs> like, yeah, that's where we're starting. I love it. That's <laughs> where we're starting because I have. I need to get to this. Okay. He, he he's yeah. He's in. He's like, oh yeah, you've done this a thousand times with Keiko. He also says at one point, like, oh. just to get out of there. Oh, I left somebody on the OR and the, on the on the operating table. Gotta go. It's like no, you I didn't. left a patient on the operating table. <laughs> You're right. right, Jeff. I'm on your side on this, actually. You just 
Yeah, you're right about this. There's there's a bunch of little clues. How many days? Episode. How many days has uh, Chief and Julian known each other? Yet he's seen him handle his wife thousands of times. How many <laughs> times a day does Chief get in trouble with Keiko? Realistically, I think that I think realistically one, a lot. Maybe one. <sighs> yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> Well, I, I it, it, okay. You keep that one. That's a good one. Mommy's gonna be mad. Another one. Can we keep those for Jeff as well? Yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll come around again. Yeah, sure. I thought this was an appropriate episode to introduce Amanda. This is her first episode of DC's Nine that she's ever watched. She's like, "What show? Wow. Like, what year did this show air?" I'm like, "I think this is like 1990s." Did you guys just meet? <laughs> no, no, she's just not a big Star Trek person as far as like, you know, she likes to watch the real housewives and stuff. And she's got that's her. That's and she's her like, life. this Keiko housewife is pretty interesting. Yeah, she, you know what? The Pa Wraith Keiko is about the same as a regular was, real housewife. I was gonna, I was gonna say, if, if Keiko, if she hadn't exposed herself as a Pa Wraith, would Miles have even noticed? No, like hundred percent. No, like no. he would have done all the same things. No, he, he was digging the sex talk. I, okay, like okay, yeah, he thought this that. was like a kinky thing for a while. Yeah. Let's, get, <laughs> let's, get to, let's get to that. No, I'm scene. going to kill your wife. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> dress. She literally had to spell it out for him. Yeah, he he kind of kind of comes groveling about he destroyed the bonsai because he didn't take care of it, and she's a botanist, and and so he was like, oh, I really. She's like, who cares about it? It's just a plant, you know. It's, it's all she's on Julian, down the chocolates. They're not just plants. <laughs> They're not just plants. Julian, he doesn't know what he's doing. They take days, months, months, years. years. <laughs> She was um, scarfing down those chocolates, though. Yeah, yeah okay. I do think that is an interesting thing because that's not, uh, I don't think that's a Keiko trait. That's this Pa Wraith's trait, I think. The Sidrin, uh, no, wait, was it uh, some kind of truffles, mint truffles or something? It looked yeah. like, yeah. And she's eating my, out of a little satchel, which yes. I find interesting. In the future, that's the best they got for chocolates is a little, little satchel. excessive packaging they're not going to use. <laughs> you want some kind of futuristic satchel for the chocolates? No plastic seem, wrap in that future. Seems like old world. That's all. Uh, anyway, um, Bajoran. So it's Bajoran. So and Bajoran, they haven't caught up. That is true. Uh, still, I love how they're still also, afraid of a space cloud. Remember that tribe that O'Brien and Bashir went to, and they were like, <laughs> the, "The ghost is gonna get us." O'Brien remembers it. I also I like how O'Brien is like, "Are you okay?" And he's like, you know, feels her head to see if she's hot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like she had like a fever is explaining this behavior. Don't get that brain fever. Or that Bajoran brain oh, yeah, fever. the brain fever. Um that doesn't sound good. No. Uh so yeah, then she puts herself into like a coma kind of or like a seizure of sorts. And nope. we you she know bursts a blood vessel. Oh, wait. She bursts a blood vessel. Or does she wear? She that's she she even states she does. Uh she does, but like it, it, I feel like she's like, well, I could have done it way worse. I feel like she's faking because she immediately comes out of it. She's like, that's what I'll do to your girl wife. Okay. <laughs> Jeff, this is where I'm going to jump in. Right. Like, what bunch of assumptions they have that it's a, like a parade. 
right? He goes pretty uh, deep into his plan before like confirming this to be a fact. It's all assumptions up until that point. He could have like killed them both, right? Without actually confirming because he was deep into his plan. O'Brien. Yes. With Keiko. Right. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't. Yeah, because he's so emotionally involved, he is a little bit distracted with like, you know, what do I do? And, you know, but we'll, we'll get to that a little, a little bit later. But like the, the whole Keiko here, like that's manipulating him. I feel like there's a little bit of overacting. Like when she just goes, and then, yeah. <laughs> what is it's that was really bad. It was really bad. Like I love uh, Defender of Chow. Please defend. How dare you? Please defend How this you? performance because I don't know if Dave has the clip, but it is exquisite wait, acting. If there ever wait, was. Just, just when she like when she first does the embolism to herself yes. or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yes. Oh, there's yeah, multiple. Worthy of Shatner. It's worthy of of Shatner. It's got a little greatness. Bit, exactly. Uh, right. Theater act. No, the, look, the, the Keiko gets a bad rap. So does Rosalind Chow on these these Star Trek shows. Every scene she's in, she's exquisite. She's ama- she 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 turns like like crap into gold a lot of the times. I don't give her I a agree. lot of good lines, but like I agree. Yeah. it makes really work. She like she has a great personality that she expresses. She like you feel like you really know Keiko in. For the amount of lines she has, that's saying something. I, I agree. And, I agree with that. I think part. she's a great character. She gets all this like, like I'm a badgering wife kind of like reputation, which I don't understand. She's like super supportive, and they're a great s- supportive couple between the two of them. But there's a it's lot of weird Keiko no, stuff out even, there. I wouldn't even say it's up and down. I just think that's the way they portray her. Or they present her in a specific light. And it's not necessarily fair. I think that's an issue in terms of how to present certain characters. Look, we all know, like, they have trouble presenting Jake most of the time. And it's yeah. only in the brief instances that Jake comes across as, like, a viable, like, interesting character. But Jake, in theory is a good character is an interesting character and a character that you want on the show because he's important to Ben and his connection to other characters. Keiko as well. Keiko's an interesting character, one that is a valuable asset to the show, but in terms of how they usually portray her or it's usually in a negative nagging wife um, point of view, even though the relationship. I don't see that though. The they, relationship they, I, I can't think of three scenes a, where she's a nagging wife. They 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 present her as a supportive wife. Miles. I, I guess. They yeah. they present her this Miles. way before before she's even in Wedding this episode. episode. She's her coming home and everybody in his life runs away. <laughs> they do. There's like yeah, sort of clues. The daughter comes out and is like, "You're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Mom's gonna be mad." Yeah, they kind they kind of yeah. like even I feel like, like they, they set allude her up. to it more than you actually. See the it. fact that like Julian yeah. Bashir doesn't want to be anywhere, changeling right. or not, he doesn't want to be anywhere near Keiko when she comes out of that airlock. Right? Like <laughs> she is a threat. Uh, she is a force at the best of times. And if you cross her, no, that's watch a changeling out. thing, Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> see, I think all right. Here's the deal with the changeling thing i think he was smart to not want to be around keiko very much because keiko we get throughout this episode through the paul ray saying how well she knows uh, uh o'brien 
uh, Miles. I think she also equally kind of knows like a Julian or people close to to Miles, and she might be able to snuff out the fact that uh, Julian is a changeling. So he would be smart to not be around her so much. But Odo can't do that. Odo Odo couldn't figure out this this entire plot <laughs> until like it was way too late. That's not a good comparison. Odo Remember, he's, he's, he's sucker punched by Brian. Yeah. yeah, he also he's gets an sucker punched. Guy. When, and, so soft. and O'Brien never gets any like punishment for punching Odo. You know, he, he, punch. he, he just like backhanded him once and like Odo crumpled. Like, yeah. wow, that's your chief security in heaven. Like when that rock hit him in the vortex. <laughs> you sure he's a solid? Because that was pretty glassy in terms of his jaw. Oh. Odo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Jeff, it was the changeling who goes uh, next week into the past to deal with Kirk and the Tribbles and all that. That's also changeling. I believe. I believe it's been the changeling for for quite a few. It was all. It was always a changeling. Maybe. Maybe from episode one. No, no, not that long. I I think since season five started. You were saying it like in the season four. Uh, maybe I don't know. We have to check the tape on that. But I think <laughs> I've been on record. Stop the tape. I've been on record saying I think Bashir is a changeling since the start of season five because of his mannerisms. I've just been watching his manner. If, if I ever meet Alexander Siddig, which I never will, I will ask him, did he read ahead on the script knowing and know he was going to be he was a changeling? And did he change his performance during these? First, what he'll tell you is like, dude, it's just a TV show. Um, <laughs> That's what he'll tell you. What a laugh. What a laugh. What a laugh. Do you think he would say what a laugh to that question? Because I would want to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be I, amazing. I, I mean, what else, I mean, I think that would be a, if I if ever at a Comic Con, Jamil, and he's there, please ask him that question. Just immediately. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the, a little the, secret. Why would the changeling kill Kirk? I'm on the show. Well, the change, these changes are smart. They like to infiltrate and get, like, why didn't Martok just kill Garon himself? You know, in a, you know what I mean? Like, they try to get Honor. other people to do it. The, the, the impact of Gorum being killed versus Kirk being killed is like far reaching. True, but I don't well, even yeah, know. Then the changelings wanted the Federation to kill um, Gowron, right? That was not their, just their plot. for Gowron to die, they wanted mm -hmm. to be able to like even have deniability about it. Not even people know yeah. it was them who did it. Uh, okay, all right. Let's move on a little bit here to the the opening scene of this episode is Quark trying to feed Rom some some maggots or something, some beans and some maggots uh, uh, and some worms. And Where else can you get raw slug liver first thing in the morning? Okay, Maybe. slug liver. Sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, but he says no. He wants a different breakfast. And Dave, do we have that clip? Two eggs over easy, three strips of bacon, and a side of corned beef hash. It's Chief O'Brien's breakfast of choice. Yuck. Uh, corned beef hash. I mean, he is Irish. I mean, but still, that's fine. What's wrong what? with that? What's wrong with no. corned beef? Hash? Why would you no. want bacon and because it's beef not nineteen forty-seven? Because you, you make, corned beef. You make some hollandaise. You put it all over all of that, and it's delicious. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> he find, he he agrees. It doesn't agree with him, right? Like he says, bacon. You know, by the end, he's on to pancakes. I'll have a short stack of pancakes, dripping with. Butter, a side of sausage, and pineapple. So wait, pineapple's the best. That's the, the bacon choice on the day shift. Didn't agree day with shift. him, but he's gonna have like I guess like sausage though. 
Sausage now. He, he he's I never different mentioned the bromelain in pineapple could react to a Ferengi. Well, he'll, he can get he can get uh, that uh, antihistamine, Kevin. Like uh, yeah. so, last like night we the end. Yeah. The episode, the episode of Enterprise we watched, it's Malcolm's birthday, also in September, and they ultimately give him a pineapple cake for his birthday. Yeah. And th- what we need to That's really delicious. take away from this is that both O'Brien and um, Reed, both Virgos. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> right. Twisted web you weave, Dave. <laughs> Lame, okay. Lame. All, right. all right like just with, with regards to rom like it's it's interesting that he's like kind of like all right cork i'm done with being like your you know the bartender help and the the bar guy and i'm a professional engineer and i'm gonna try and adapt to their way of life and cork doesn't like it mainly because it's losing the money not that he really cares about rom's growing as well, it's a person. more it's more than the money though it's he doesn't like you know uh quark is as xenophobic as they come you know especially with his fellow ferengis especially with rom any kind of nog anybody embracing non-traditional ferengi values is is obscene to him but he, he's he, like he's like the 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 modern i don't want to say bigot but He's like the modern dude who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I love everyone, you know, as long as they pay. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to change my lifestyle whatsoever to to deal with yours. Or if I see someone from my kind of collection changing their ways into yours, I'm automatically off-putted by this. And uh, but I love the women. The women are nice. You know, it doesn't matter what type of women, but don't change you know, our women's ways into yours, that's absolutely wrong. I won't stand for it. So, so yeah, like there's, there's people in our, in our current day that would be an allegory for Quark, you know, maybe not so admirable people perhaps. Uh But I find Quark interesting because anytime we have an episode with him and other Ferengi interacting, it never seems to be a good, he never seems to enjoy other Ferengi. He seems to kind of, you know, he doesn't detest his culture, but he detests other Ferengi because they're like competitors with him. It's a big contradiction with Quark because, yeah, he he mostly, especially after he gets like excommunicated from the Ferengi FCA, you know, and he he never really goes back to Ferenginar, really. Well, here and there, but he 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 ran away from it from life there, you know, and he mostly yeah. chooses to live among aliens. Yet he hates aliens, and well, he um, says he does. I think it's kind of a front. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess he's tapping his foot in the bathroom. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cheers to that. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I see Quark here. He's only in the episode very briefly, but I think they give you a lot from his like, yeah, his point of view, and you can really read into a lot of uh, the things with him. But let's get back to the um, the O'Brien and Keiko stuff because after Keiko. the the credits, Keiko. you know, it wakes up and we get this whole back and forth of like, you know, don't I know what you're thinking, you know, you want to get to your friends Julian and Cisco, and you know, go figure this problem out and figure out some sort of anti graviton you know field like she like she basically is like i know we've done this episode before in tng uh but we're not gonna, that's not gonna happen here on Tuesdays now like you know they're already kind of spelling it out i think it's clever writing for uh, well she has all of keiko's memories and knowledge right <clears throat> so she's like yeah remember that time you were possessed by a space ghost and you know you were kind of a menace uh well now the shoe's on the other foot <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna make this episode way more memorable which she does i think yeah um yeah, I think this is more memorable than the TNG version of it, yeah. if you will. Yeah. 
Um, okay, and I think there's a, uh, an interesting. They get to their quarters, and I think there's a really interesting thing that occurs where, um, you know, basically uh, Keiko says like, uh, you know, what do you want to ask me? I can tell you want to ask me a question when you like, you know, your brow raises. Throw your brow. Throw your brow. And he says, "Why me? Like, why? Why Keiko? Why not just you know take control of me? What? What?" would your theory be on why she doesn't really answer the question but like what do you think the, the reason for that is like why does she just change um you know possession here basically uh um we'll go to you dave i don't like we don't really have an understanding of how easy it is for them to transfer hosts like you know right. so uh later on when um there's some other paul wraith possessions right and we don't see them jumping from body to body that easily so i don't think it's it's uh, that simple maybe you know right i think that's pretty much like the answer and she doesn't really like give away like how that because like all right the whole thing was keiko was in the fire caves getting some some fungus or whatever so that's how she got possessed but i i think we assume, yeah. we assume. yeah we don't uh, know we didn't say they don't the give us a scene but that makes the most sense i mean because that's kind like, of like very fire cave specific so she can't just jump around mm-hmm possess somebody you, in the fire caves where maybe they have more power or something do you feel that um the federation and bajoras just kind of shrug their shoulders at like okay the the um, the um you know the wormhole aliens right the celestial temple exists so therefore parts of bajoran religion and uh folklore it has to be true why isn't someone studying this and going, hey, there's some bad dudes that could exist. You know, maybe we should be on the lookout for them just in case. Well, yeah, that's interesting because, like, if if if, if the legend of their gods is true, then maybe the legend of their devils are true as well. And so, therefore, um, worth looking into. And uh, But, you know, I think, like, Brian at one point is like, ask the um, the computer to tell them like how many how, what's in the, uh, is there any information about these paw race and they're like yeah there's like six thousand entries where do you want to start and he's like, oh, i don't know <laughs> but he says it so loud that keiko must have heard him yeah yeah <laughs> she's always like a few steps ahead of him in this yeah. episode she, she literally calls out to him right after and the, her tone is the same as him calling for the computer ridiculous yeah yep. here's like, just walls. imagine her in the other room is like what a dummy <laughs> like, just just astounded by his stupidity um okay so then we get like the whole Bashir shows up and we get like uh Keiko's uh, planning a birthday party for O'Brien and but O'Brien doesn't like surprises. He's he, he's not for this because he's just been given an ultimatum right before Bashir walked into Miles. The don't be so rude. Right. Um, <laughs> that you know, basically, if you don't go do what I ask, you know, I'm just gonna kill your wife within like what 0.5 seconds or something like it that. It was uh, about half a second. Yeah. About and then yeah, he, he asks like literally, like, how how fast could I render her unconscious through all the means? And the fa- I think the phaser on stun was the fastest, like 0.9 seconds. Yeah. 0.9, but it wasn't fast enough. He goes, dang, not fast enough. Well, he know? knocked out Odo faster, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> he, he never asked the computer how long it would take for a backhand. For a backhand to knock you out. I'd say it's o- faster than that. Odo still would have walked up to Chief and asked him, like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so man. if 
if Keiko's unconscious, is the Pareth uh Pareth unconscious too? I don't think so. Because like you saw, like she nearly killed Keiko there, and then like as he was about to hit his com badge, you know, she immediately like sprung back to life. Yeah. So it seems like the Pareth could even take possession of you if you're like even dead, maybe, or even like not even in uh, the best condition. Okay. It seems. Yeah. It seems. I, I think you're right. Like, I think, it, it, you know, and she also makes like a, a, a slur, like, oh, you corporeal beings. All you care about is the, the you know, the physical things in life. And, you know, like, so, like, she does kind of, like, you know, talk down and, like, they have a different disposition as far as life. And um, they've been waiting for things for centuries. She says stuff like that. So I think, yeah, they kind of operate on a different plane, uh, the paw race and the prophets. Okay. But like I just feel like we're ju- like they're jumping to conclusions like it could have been another non-corporeal entity, right? That just don't like the the prophets. Like wh- why did it have to be like specifically the parates? Right? I just think that the episode is telling us that because like we get the at the birthday party, Jake talking about how cool the ball race is, which is typical for a teenage boy to be like, oh, sick. The fire game. always wanted to meet a paw race. <laughs> you'll get your get wish. Yeah, you'll get your <laughs> chance in the reckoning. Um, you'll be Coast Emojin. Yes. But uh, I, yeah, so the I think I just think the episode's telling us that it's the power race, but yeah, it's not necessarily one hundred percent confirmed. Um, we also have uh, Rom, you know, showing up at you know, yeah, here with the 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 security team is very interesting. The like, swing shift, Jeff. The swing you know? shift. Is that what we drink is on? That the... What we drink on the swing shift? Swing shift. Swing shift. <laughs> shift. And, he said, and he said, and he's sitting in Duarte. Is this where Duarte sits? Duarte sits. I like the guy's response, though. You you can drink whatever you want. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Kevin was the man of this uh, this crew. He's like, whatever. Just you know, uh, Rom is so cute in this episode. I gotta tell you, man. Like, for lack of a better word. Diagnostic and repair technician Junior Grave. Rom reporting. And, and and O'Brien almost gets him sent to prison for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, for, you know what I mean. Like, and it's because of his innocence, and it's we kind of really get a lot of character development here with Rom, which is good. This is a big episode for Rom, even more than O'Brien. I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think O'Brien's just dealing with like the problem, whereas Rom, you kind of get to see like he's he's growing as a person, as a character. Uh, you get to kind of he's not what he was in season one where he was very much a quark no yeah very different um he was worse than quark quark was more likable in the back then sure um he hooked up with lita already or was at least friends with lita already mm, friends friends but she's she's with bashir at this point changeling okay. bashir perhaps <laughs> i think very likely changeling bashir. Yeah, okay. why she would date a changeling <laughs> well because she would um Okay, so then we have the, the, the birthday party here, and then we see he sees Keiko kind of, uh, you know, consoling his daughter Molly, and that's enough for him to break a glass in anger and cut his hand. And everyone he finished the scotch. Uh, yeah, but yeah, he did finish the scotch. You, you don't, you're, if, no Irishman I know would let a, a drop of good scotch go to waste. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why do you drink Irish whiskey? Why do they call them Irish handcuffs? 
<laughs> he it might, might be some Jamesons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, this isn't the best freeze frame, but yeah, this is from the party. I love, yeah, and, yeah, I love how Dak shows up, and that's what she gives him is a big bottle of booze, <laughs> mm-hmm. and doesn't say anything; just hands it to him and walks away. Walks away. Yes. <laughs> Neither they barely acknowledge each other. Yeah, so here you go. They, you like, they really don't talk food, very often. Basically, yeah. I, I do think like you guys are right. There's lots of subtle clues to like. I know your your life's tough. You got you know like your wife's. Your wife's pretty tough. You're married you to know? Keiko. Maybe married the greatest to... wife ever. If you yeah. defender of Chow, defender of Chow, uh, <laughs> probably the best wife ever. She is pretty great in certain episodes. I will agree. Like in the episode when he's in prison, in the in his mind that we covered, she's actually really great in that episode. Yeah, she moved you to know? a Cardassian station in the middle of nowhere and gave up her career for him. What else do you want? But then she yeah. went off for months with Sabar. And uh, you know, for seven months, and uh, you know, <laughs> so, months. so he was playing with Julian that whole time, and he barely missed her. Yeah, but not because she's awesome. It's true. Uh, Elimino. go back to your Sabar. Go back to Bajor and your plants and Sabar. See if I care. <laughs> See if I care. <laughs> See if I care. Um, okay, so then we get to clean up after the party here, and uh, yeah, Cisco had said the caporal was very good. It was. It takes a long time to make that caporal, and it was a hit. Yeah, yep. uh, this one. Take it from an old cook. Take it from an old cook. That's, that's Cisco. Caporal, did she make it, or was that replicated? She made it. Yes, yeah, she made it from replicated stuff. Yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of leftover cake. There was, yes. I, don't think, I, I think maybe Miles breaking the glass. That was like a wrap on the party. It was like, okay, I guess we're we'll stressed. Yeah, yeah he's, he's maybe stressed. we should get out of this party. Go to Hollisby. Yeah, go, go, go drink some booze. But what I don't understand is, if we're in the future now, shouldn't you make like replicate a smaller cake, and then if people want more, you just get more of the cake, as opposed to just making a a big slab. And then throwing out the remainder. You know when Chris Kattan's gonna show up and he's just gonna start mowing down <laughs> on some cake, man. Like you gotta have lots on 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 deck, and you just put it back in the replicator after. It doesn't matter. Uh, it just gets reabsorbed. I mean, it's a it's a convenient dishwasher. I have to say. True. Um, okay. We also have here where basically they're they're arguing about. He wants to talk about it now. And she says, "We'll talk about it in the morning, and you'll sleep in the bed with me, and you'll like it." <laughs> and and uh, uh, Molly will. And he wants Molly to go to another uh, Davises, uh, the yeah. Davises, or something like that. Yeah. And, and uh, whatever happened to the Petersons? It used to be the Petersons. And they don't like them anymore. No. And so, so, so you get a lot of like, I'm in charge, and I know they have a scene at the end of the episode where it's like, you know. Keiko's not this person, but I do think this episode leads to the to that whole thing of like Keiko's a domineering wife, and because in this episode she's all you know she's basically you know. So what's your premise here? That like this episode cemented Keiko as like a cutthroat sort of. Uh... I think people watch <laughs> this episode and kind of go, "Oh, okay," you know. There's a lot, and it's not just her performance. It's the, it's the, it's the clues. It's uh, you know, as far as like, like you said, like uh, Bashir doesn't want to be around her, and and, and look she's at that really great. Look at that look. She's really great in this episode. I'm not her performance crap. is great. 
yeah, I'm not crapping on her performance at all. Oh, I'm yes. saying I understand why people like watch her and go, oh, she's you know she's hard on O'Brien or whatever. Um, he needs do you think they did a poor job in terms of showing the relationship or friendship Kira would have with Keiko? Yeah, I do think. Yeah, Kira's not even in this episode, which I think is important because you know, isn't she having their baby? Yeah, she but she's not going to his birthday party. She's off with Saber. Shakar. I wonder in real life if she's actually <laughs> if she's actually having the real baby, Bashir's baby, the changeling baby. Because wasn't that the <laughs> thing that like Kira couldn't go to Bajor without O'Brien, you know, and looking for Parmok, you know, and this is like a couple weeks later, and and she's fine with her being on Bajor now. Well, she was like the idea I assume would have been that. Um, you know, Keiko would have went and visited her, so it wouldn't have been such a long time without an O'Brien check-in of some sort, whether it be Miles or herself. Perhaps it's inconsistent. This is the thing with, and this is the way they write Keiko, and I think this is why, like, she's completely inconsistent with what she wants. She's either, and it's all dependent on plot. If if it serves the plot for her to be mean to O'Brien, she will. If it serves the plot for her to be the nurturing, supportive, awesome wife, then she will be. But it's like. I think ultimately they don't care much about her development in what, you know, yeah. maybe up until this point, I think they gave her something really interesting in this episode. Yes. Uh, you know, and like the fact that when they made but this spinoff, you'd think that Rosalind Chow would be one of the mainstays to come over from next generation, but she's only here and there sprinkled in. I feel but like it, she, it, this Jake episode's not, this episode's not really Keiko. It's a Paul no. Wraith inhabiting Keiko. So like, that was kind of what I was alluding to. I see why people like, like attribute that Pa Wraith stuff to Keiko, and it's not really Keiko at all. But Jeff, to be fair, it is the elements of Keiko being like like used as tools right. to get to an end. It's like right. um if you watch like um a superhero or anime of some sort, sometimes mm -hmm. a main character gets taken over and it's like, look at all this stuff I can do. And then the whoever possessed the superhero or, or like was the problem for that thing disappears. And it's like, I'm still regular, regular old me, but you know what? I might grow into that in the future. Mm -hmm. And we never really got that. We never... I'll tell you who I'm upset with in this episode, Jeff, okay. more than anybody. Okay, go ahead. How come Molly O'Brien can't tell this isn't her mother? <laughs> I mean, she's like seven, right? Younger than that. Okay, she's six. I mean... <laughs> I think what? she's like four. Is she only like four here, you think? Okay. Um... Or no, we're in season five, and she was already born when they came here, so she's at least five, six. Okay, she's six. Okay, <laughs> I mean, probably seven, as originally stated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she's <laughs> seven. seven five. I think she doesn't really. I mean, maybe, maybe she like figured it out when she's like, "Ah, oh, you hurt my hair." She you never know? figures it out. Like, but I don't know. Like, the fact that she couldn't tell it was her mom, and she Are was we blaming too? Molly. I'm blaming. This is Molly blaming. Jeez. Yeah, how come you aren't more self-aware, Molly? You're six. D didn't she have, you have time a daughter with her father now, when it was a doppelganger as well? Yeah, this is no good. She's bad. She's bad for business, Molly O'Brien. She doesn't know I, what she's doing. I, I tell you, if a man had been taken over by a paw wraith and 
my daughter was uh, Prudence was six. I don't think she would be able to tell. I don't think. How do you know? You don't even. You just <laughs> met her three days ago. Maybe she'll like be very good at that. <laughs> maybe. maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm gonna bet no, um, because you never know with the paw wraith. They're they're smart. They're very um, smart. Yeah, they, she didn't just fool Molly, guys. She fooled everyone. Everyone. Even, everyone. I guess even O'Brien until she basically like had to like spell it out. Very. I am not Keiko. Stop I will kill butt. Keiko unless you do what I want. <laughs> you know. She's... Yeah. And she's like, then she ha even had to do a demonstration. She's like, oh god, I have to do a demonstration. Yeah. Pa, pa Wraith shows up, tries to be mean. O'Brien thinks it's sex stuff. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you know why Keiko does what she does. Maybe it's that's all, it's all about like it's sort of an escalation of like who you know until like it, it they they the, the sexual tension just has to be released. Well, see, Keiko says at the end of this episode, she's like, I was like, it was like I was in, I could see and hear everything, but I was trapped in like a coil. How mad was she when O'Brien <laughs> thought it was sex stuff? You know, she's like, no, oh, you idiot. Or is that whole part where they wake up in bed together and he's kind of like, Ooh, and he's like, oh, it's you. Evil Keiko would have been great after after getting rid of the paw wraith if she had woken up and went, "You killed my plants." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's like, "Don't think I, I forgot it." Mommy's up. gonna be mad. Yes. She's still mad, Miles. Yeah, that would be good. Did you find it very tame that the intimacy that they show is just him putting his his hand on her waist? <laughs> so like tame, yeah. So tame. This is very tame. For Star Trek, and then he has this smirk on his face. He's like, ooh. Okay, uh, so then after the this little sleep they have, they get up and you know she he gives her he gives Miles the set of instructions that he needs to go do now that she can trust him. So he says, you know what, I'm gonna go right to Odo and Cisco and figure this out. And that's when Keiko pulls a left hand turn and decides to jump off the promenade perfectly. Oh, she didn't jump off. She fell. fell. She took a fall. It was like a swan dive. <laughs> it was a suicide dive. Uh, you know, it, it was more of a swan ton. More than it was anything. like a. Yeah, it was almost like she was bungee jumping off the uh, promenade or something. The there, promenade but... here. I have a question. Why in the future? Could can't they make this more safe? I feel like they make it more safe today. How many people in this show have fallen off the top of that promenade? Well, there, there was that guy who hung himself, that Vedic who, like, was, you yeah. know, had time to make a noose, tie it to the post. <laughs> Nobody, you know. What then, are you up to? <laughs> I'm just tying these things together to this. Yeah, no, don't mind me. Don't worry about me. <laughs> but look, okay, so um, I have a lot of questions about the scene. Has Keiko in the past done any type of um circus work as a clown or um was a, a professional wrestler to learn how to take a high <laughs> bump like that to distribute the weight effectively throughout her body to make sure she isn't dead because that's proper bumping skills like yeah. that's like pro wrestling 101 yeah. i yeah. i was yeah. quite impressed that she was able to take that dive and fall properly this fall, this fall is something else like how, how any of them thought this was an accident is like <laughs> <laughs> yeah like they're not great like investigators they're you know really at all how many witnesses were there like i i don't know i saw keiko like jump off the promenade she did she fell over she literally she, just kind of just yeah like like she was falling off a hell of a cell the credit the, the stunt double was mick foley 
<laughs> you look like Mick Foley, yeah. <laughs> kind of move or something, you know? It's like, you can tell why is Keiko missing an ear? <laughs> <laughs> is, is, it, is it Dude Foley or what was his name? Dude, Dude Love. Love. Dude Love. Dude Love and uh, Cactus Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, so, um, Keiko okay. O'Brien. Keiko O'Brien. <laughs> um, you know, they're all they're one of his many characters. <laughs> Um, okay, so then Julian comes out and you know basically says she fell perfectly, and you know, and, and, and O'Brien wants to see her, and he's like, "No, I really can't let you see her." And he goes, oh, "You know, normally I would have said great, but in this instance, I actually need to talk to her." <laughs> I, I'm always confused by the doctors allowing people to see patients like, no, they need rest, as if talking will somehow slow down the healing process or something they can get excited or power agitated. trips yeah like power i was trips. like she you said she's conscious so like you know like i don't know he just he's a changeling must be right but well he does yeah. say it in this episode yeah like yeah don't get her too excited don't get her too excited don't don't uh talk about any threat like plots to sabotage the station and no sex talk o'brien <laughs> no sex talk we know what you do it's always sex talk. <laughs> the right parental lobe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, was so so then he like he agrees there like with a with Pari Keiko. No more games. I'm gonna like I'm gonna try to see the mission through. And she gives him like what like thirteen hours or something. Thirty six like, hours. I thought it was. No, no. He wanted thirty six hours. She gives him thirteen. Yes, you're right. Sorry. Mm. And then so there's he, a completely pointless scene with Wharf. Where he's okay. Like, Sorry, okay. Keiko. So okay, I have a thing here. Okay, so he he comes out of secu- the security or whatever the the infirmary, hits the thing thirteen hours. Then Worf talks to him, right? And mm-hmm. then the next scene, he's like in a, a junction, like fixing something, and he hits the timer again, and it's been five hours. Yeah, what did he do? For- he was working. <laughs> he was doing stuff. He does the- like the do 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 like along. The- that's that's what he does. I don't. Some Jerry's were trying to cross the channel. He had to go figure <laughs> that out. <laughs> he was going to the reprimand for lunch. He wasn't. He was supposed to be there. Yeah, like we. He does little technical adjustments, slightly out of spec. Okay, and then he and then Rom shows up when he's doing some of these technical things. And Rom's like, oh, I need, I finished all my things here. I'm faster than everybody else because I'm a Nobody genius. talks to me. Nobody talks <laughs> to me. And uh, I like Ractogenos as much as the next guy, but they don't seem to care that I like them. Um, you know, so he's like, what do you got for me? And he's like, okay, I got this super secret plan and you can't tell anyone. By the way, anyone ever tells you that. So that's not good. Never, yes, not good. never, never good. Oh, you can't tell anybody. And all this yeah. is a top secret Starfleet operation. I feel like he's talking to him worse than he would talk to Molly. Like, you know, like... <laughs> I, I think he thinks Rom's a bit of a, a dumbass. Like, he's like, listen, Rom. So I got a secret. Come closer. Come closer. I got a secret. You know? So, oh, my God. I, I feel about O'Brien talking to Rom. It's kind of sad because O'Brien's really smart. I mean, uh, Rom's really smart. And he's really nice. Like I feel like he kind of does him dirty in this episode, big time. Defender of Molly, defender of Chow. How do you feel about how O'Brien treats Rom here in this episode? Look, he's he's agitated. He's having a rough couple of days. His 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 daughter is stuck with a parade. That would stress right. stress out a fella. You know, it's his birthday. Rom. 
Right. It's getting yeah, older. you know, Rom's switching shifts, swing shift one day, day shift the next. You know, he's you unreliable. S- you could say he's looking for Pa Wraith in all the wrong places. You could say, uh, you could say and that completes it. Davin is now the defender of all things, O'Brien. <laughs> he loves that O'Brien clan. Yep. <laughs> I do. Of I'm a descendant of the great Brian Baru. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you? No, House of Savoy. House of Savoy. <laughs> House of Savoy. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah, he's basically, he goes sabotage all these systems, ROM, and, you know, don't tell anybody, and uh, nothing could possibly go wrong. Um, oh. and then, I am a direct descendant of King Brian Baru. <laughs> but I, I just like how he's like, don't worry, Chief, my lips are sealed. My lips are sealed. Nobody will get anything out of me, not even my name. And then he's, he's like, like Rom, everybody in the station knows your name. Right. But I won't confirm it. <laughs> so it's like tears where he walks and in. I love the callback to that later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Odo yeah. tries to see 40 minutes, it was like pulling teeth, even getting him to admit his name. <laughs> Hello, Rob steps on his foot. <laughs> I think he's talking to you. Uh, okay, and then. Hello, so, Mr. Thompson. <laughs> and O'Brien gets a call. To be to come to um, ops where Dax has uh, found something out where she she thinks there's a saboteur because she was doing a random diagnostic at three in the morning. O'Brien is not happy about this. He's like, "What are you doing, Dax? Come on!" Well, he's probably asking himself the same things I ask. I'm like, "What does she really do? How much science work does Jedzia do on this (laughs) station? It seems like nothing." (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's just he does it when she's bored. Yeah, she's living the dream. There's like, never a scientific issue for her to like solve ever. She's like, I'm not. She's drunk at three in the morning and she's like doing her science. <laughs> Anomalies are like sheep. She just counts them to go to sleep. Yeah, well, yeah. No, I don't think she likes to sleep too much. She likes to drink. Like so much when she dies, they don't replace her position. They don't get a new science officer. <laughs> they get a counselor. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're like, you know what? We need a therapist on the station. We don't. Yeah, science. More, nah. At least we'd like you to actually do some work, Dax, in your next host, please. They just don't uh, bother with science. What's going to happen if I ever lose my job? I also feel like in this episode we get some things here with like Cisco, where like I feel like Cisco's not quite. He's not on the ball. Like he's not reading right. people right. well in this episode, and we get it most of all here in this like saboteur meeting here with Odo, Dax, and O'Brien, where they're kind of like. Talking about you know someone's uh, who works on the station is has to be someone who's familiar. It has you know they go through all the things like Dax thinks it might have been a Cardassian you know that that used to work here or something like that. And O'Brien's like just like walking away, not engaged. He's thinking. You can tell he's preoccupied. And Being Cisco, pretty suspicious, very yeah. suspicious. And I feel like Cisco is just like yeah, okay, all right. Who could it be? You know. But um, he asked. He asked O'Brien. It's like you said it was someone that we possibly know it's like o'brien never said that like he just jumps to a conclusion that o'brien knows something it was just such a weird kind of conversation it felt like something was cut in that moment yeah maybe 
Yeah, it, it's just like like O'Brien's trying to downplay. He's like, it's you could barely even call it sabotage. It's more like little chestnuts or something, you know? They're like, hmm, who could it be? It's funny, Jamil. He, Jamil, he asks him, Do you think it could be someone in your staff? And then there's like there's a call from your daughter. He's like, Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't get an answer. Go talk to your daughter. Yeah. She would call me in the middle of meetings when he was seven or six or however old you are, Molly. You know? It's just so uh, weird. It's such a weird conversation, a weird meeting. And Cisco just seems like just completely flustered and frustrated. And it just seems like out of character that he would be so passive aggressive yeah. in his attitude. Especially since engineering is his thing, too. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like he's able to, like, that's the whole thing is often with Cisco and O'Brien, like, even in the, sh looking back at the ship, right? Where he's like, Chief, you're the only one who can get the ship up and running. Except for you, Cisco. You're also having the skill set. He's like, I'm the captain. I can't be doing the work. I got to be ready for decisions. Like, I just designed the Defiant, but that is no big deal. Yeah. I only designed as, like, the most powerful starship ever and ran the Utopia Planitia yards for three years. But, you know, O'Brien will do it. The whole O'Brien must suffer, I think, is just the theme that Iris Stephen Bear wanted hard in this show he's like suffer from keiko suffer from cisco suffer yeah. from cardassians you know the only whatever. bit of happiness he gets is when he gets to go play with julian yeah yeah and most of the time it's a changeling yeah for you. <laughs> yep. well for the first few episodes here of season five i believe so and um, i think julian kind of makes him suffer through their friendship too yeah yeah, yeah it's funny <laughs> it, it's not like it's it's all roses from the get so um do you think julian should have died no, like instead of Jedzia? Yeah, in terms of the I'd make that trade. suffer kind of no. thought process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you take away his best friend, I think <laughs> if you killed like any member's family, that would have been more suffering. But I think Jedzia's death would have been better had they not done Ezri. Like, I don't think you know the thing is like they did just Ezri. a loss. That's just. <laughs> A loss that's not like because they replace her with this new actor and new. It's host. kind of like in Beer Fest when, <laughs> when, when landfill dies and then they just replace him with landfill two. Just call and, me landfill. Yeah, just call me landfill. It'll be, oh, it's like it'll be like you're just like landfill, so it won't be like that weird getting to know you period. You know, like it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing with Esri. So I think that's kind of it hurts. I think the. The end of season six is very powerful, but then it kind of gets ruined by season seven a little bit. Would you prefer season seven um, continue on and they just look at that empty seat like they're in those like those habits of having Dax chime in and everyone kind of pauses and looks over and then kind of catches themselves? You think we yeah. missed out on those moments? I think we did. I think we missed out on like the wharf stuff. Like he kind of just becomes like this cranky guy around Ezri for a while and then yes you know like I just think there's a lot of that stuff that it just didn't land perfectly for me just because Ezri's there and it's awkward and it's weird uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, okay but yeah so uh, O'Brien sold out Rom that's where we were okay yeah O'Brien yep. sold out, sells out Rom Odo grabs him by the shoulder says what are you doing and you know he won't admit his name. So Brian decides to tap into the system and completely take out the eavesdropping devices in, you know, in the interrogation rooms here, um, which is smart, but he didn't cover his tracks well enough. And, and you know, so, but they have a great conversation here where, um, you know, Rom knows what's going on. He's figured it out or they, they're trying to create some sort of graviton 
chronoton beam to to kill the prophets uh which you know o'brien did not figure out dax doesn't figure out why is he not the next science officer he seems to know what he's doing yeah, yeah. when jed dies they should have filled the vacancy with him because he uh he had a better he had, o'brien's like what chronoton ratio that's harmless he's like yeah to humans but like <laughs> dummy dummy like <laughs> dummy this yeah. is why you're not an officer yeah he's an enlisted man i'm an enlisted man <laughs> i don't have to know shit <laughs> that is great when he's so bewildered he's like of course of that's course yeah that's why i stayed an enlisted man <laughs> i don't gotta know shit <laughs> don't gotta go to um, those officer parties yeah. <laughs> okay so uh basically that's what he decides okay i gotta go to the runabout keiko's gonna join him there um and they get you know they get on the on the runabout and they you know they start talking to dax about his birthday did you enjoy your birthday he's like it was full of surprises it's kind of the theme of this episode oh i don't like surprises all this kind of stuff. At, at the same time jeff yeah if there's a saboteur running around the station how the hell are you gonna leave let the dude leave to right. go test out a runabout especially like the prime suspect uh, well, I wouldn't even say he's a prime suspect. He's part of the investigation team. Like, yeah, we're in the middle of a crisis they, they, need, they need him to figure out what Rom was doing, what Rom was doing. But tell right. me this. How long does it take to wake up from a from a hit to the face to, you know, compared to going to, you know, getting Keiko to a runabout, launching that? Like, that would take a while, it seems like. I feel like Odo would have woken up by then. Like, he didn't tie Odo up. He didn't, you know, like, he just hit him. You know, how hard just did he hit him? him? He just hit him. He calls Keiko right away. He, he, I think he just he puts this whole plan together very quickly. But he, it's not until he knocks Odo out that he really kicks it into gear. I guess he had to get the that that thing to the. He had to finish the work, and he's like, then I'm going to get Keiko in a runabout, and then I'm going to shoot the runabout with the chronoton field and kill her that way. Um, which is, you know, I don't know. Uh, considering like she's she's always a step ahead of him like it feels like he gets the drop on her you know a little unexpectedly here but i guess you can chalk it up to that you know this pro wraith was just so uh was salivating at the prospect of getting back at the prophets and killing the prophets and taking yeah. back the celestial temple right like why did she have to leave the station i don't i guess to go into the temple was the idea well I yeah the she, wormhole had to be the, open yeah it had to be open but she also said like once they all get killed she's gonna go there and then get all like the an empty house she'd be yeah. like living it up putting her feet up yeah that was basically what non-corporeal feet yeah not non-linear yeah it was basically her attempt to take yeah basically kill everyone in heaven and go sit on the throne you know right right which you know and this is just and like you know this is just one i guess that so like but this is the same species right as the prophets like they're all the same species and these are just two factions we're all assuming like nothing is confirmed there's no test there's no type of documentation or proof given it's all you know circumstantial situations that occur and it's like i guess that killed it <laughs> well, we we know we know well we know that like the information that Rom conveys for, via Lita, right? That like they all used to live in the, in heaven together, and then right. half some of them were cast out for being false prophets. Okay, um, 
I didn't follow the rules. It sounds like the rules. Yeah. You know, their rules are basically, and they're non-linear. They don't really get involved. They're above it. Whereas I feel like some, maybe some of the other prophets got involved in timelines when they shouldn't have, and those those prophets got cast out. And they got put into crystal fire cages. Yes. Hell. In, in, <laughs> in a way. Right. You in know. Way, right. Sent to hell. Um, yeah. You know. So th- that's kind of what the whole metaphor is, I think, between what they're doing here. Uh, and it's kind of like a demon. This is very much feels like an episode of Supernatural, Dave. It does. It does. It has mm-hmm. a very, very much like that same kind of thing. You know, do what I want. You know. Uh, but they were doing it way before Supernatural, ten years before. That's right. Um. Okay, uh, so then we get the final scene here where um, Rom doesn't discover bacon. It doesn't agree with him. <laughs> I can Flop only imagine. Jacks. I can only imagine the Frangie's poops after a, a pound of bacon and some Ractaginos. Well, considering that they normally eat slugs and that kind of stuff, like right. you know, it seems like a big diet change for him. But uh, you know, whatever. Uh, That's the breakfast of choice on the day shift. <laughs> day shift day shift uh, i love know, that I everybody that works together just eats the same shit <laughs> there's no individuality you no know, yeah, yeah you think they would be like well i'm eating thai food tonight or i'm eating, you know cisco seems to be the only guy that's like you know kind of really into food but like okay at the same time let's say you come into work and you have a meeting and they have like a a kind of breakfast buffet already set up so you just like kind of take your sh- portion of the food that's already laid out already. Yeah. Just yeah that makes sense. When you're working, you kind of just want something quick, easy, something. Yeah. First yeah. person came in, ordered a whole bunch of crap. You walk in, you just take your plate, stuff it full, and you're eating during the meeting. I always wondered, though, too, like, why would you, like, I guess you're going for the experience, but he goes to his brother's bar to eat breakfast when he could go to his quarters and do it for free? Like, or does he, cause he has to pay Quark for that, right? Well, he still wants to see his brother. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And plus, yeah. sometimes you just want to, you know, eat in company, you know? Probably he has more Atmosphere. money, you know, yeah. Ferengi money that he knows what to do with because he doesn't seem to care about it. I guess, yeah. He keeps it all under the bed. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing more invigorating than breakfast in a bar. Okay, there and that's go. pretty that's pretty much the synopsis of the episode. But does anybody have anything else to say about this episode as far as theories or uh something that popped out to them? I mean, the one thing I will say before anyone else goes is when they do shoot the chronoton beam into the runabout, once again we get another exquisite acting moment from Rosalind Chow. Yeah, exactly. Rosalind than... Chow. Let's all just take a moment and appreciate Rosalind Chow. Another great <laughs> another great performance as Keiko O'Brien. Yeah, I don't blame her for this at all. I don't blame <laughs> her. This death scene, though, is does seem like it takes longer than both a backhand to the face or a face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't. She couldn't kill Keiko that fast. Uh, so I guess all you needed was a chronoton beam that was launched from like at least several kilometers away, right? So yeah, yeah. But who just? But she thought it was going to come past them. Right? Yeah, she. But like she doesn't think of this. Like she, I guess she just got so caught up in it. This 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 paw wraith that she didn't see. Uh, we have seen. We see. Well, I think that's kind of the theme. Is like yeah, like Keiko, like the paw wraith gets so caught up in like this revenge scheme, whereas O'Brien Miles gets so caught up in you know saving Keiko, and then 
you know, that's kind of the theme is preoccupation, you know. Well, uh, it's also it's also that same trope that's in everything that arrogance will be your downfall. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like so right. Wraith is thinks she's so much above O'Brien that he can't do and possibly get the drop. Off yeah. Her. She thinks she's broken O'Brien, too, at this point. Yeah. Right? So, True. Yeah. Uh, speaking One of which, Jeff. Sorry. Just, One last uh, thing. Sorry. Um, if you ever decide to, you know, do anything treasonous, just say that you're possessed by a parath, you know, or, or like someone else was um, possessed by one, because it's not like we have proof or anything to show that's the case. Yeah. Right? We're just going to take him by his word, let him into the station, you know, no restrictions, no, a year of, um, well, he didn't kill anyone. So, um, no, or attempt to kill anyone. Of, there's Odo nursing that jaw. <laughs> he's like oh i i enjoyed when i was a liquid i mean this is this yeah, solid is uh, not so good yeah, this That's is a new sensation which tastes like I, I i didn't sign up for boxing class that's why i think you know so here, go to the gym I don't think. No, well, just no. to, to get some like abs going on that like weird twelve year old body of his hairless <laughs> body. Uh, a twelve year a twelve year old has some hair. Yeah. Odo's like a seal. He's like a beach seal. <laughs> Only on his head, and it's all it's all back. Okay. All right. Uh, let's get over to the fun facts. There's not too many, so double F. There's only a few. Double up with Jeff coming at you with another, uh, you know, segment here. Um, Metaphysical. Okay. I did notice that we didn't mention this, so this is good. Uh, yet another rendition of For He's a Jolly Good Fellow is used in this uh, episode. Uh, it's used in Chief's birthday party. And I said this to a man when we were watching the episode. Um, the reason is because the happy birthday song is too expensive. It's September 2015. A happy birthday entered public domain and it can now be sung anywhere for free. Yeah, I actually like For He's a Jolly Good Fellow as a song way better than Happy Birthday. Well, like, we're, just, oh, we're singing for you at your birthday. I would rather it than Happy Birthday. The Happy Birthday song is not the best song. I think we can oblige. I would right? rather have nobody. The... <laughs> I would rather Gore's birthday song from um, the league. Okay, that one's good. Yeah, it's your birthday today. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the Beatles birthday. Lisa, one. it's your birthday. That's a good one. Too. Happy birthday, <laughs> Lisa. It is your birthday. All those oh. ones are great. The uh, the Happy Birthday song is like a, over a hundred years old, and it's uh, I think it's ran its course. Wait, okay. so, so so that was like somebody had rights to the Happy Birthday song? Yeah, they yes. made this episode and they couldn't yes. use it. Yes, yeah. that's that's a trope through a lot of television. Yeah, like classic television, they just couldn't use the birthday song. It was too expensive. They would they would want a ridiculous amount of money. Who got that money? Who owned that Disney. song? The, whoever, yeah, they stay. I believe the happy birthday song was written by two sisters like in the 1920s, and I don't know who bought it or who got the rights to it, but the, you know, that's that's how it started. Just just remember, all I want for Christmas eventually will hit public domain, and uh, you'll all be better for it. Yeah, yes. 18, it was 1893 was when they published the song. Oh, so it was that, that long ago? So 100 years later, it was still, no, it was 100 years after their death, I believe. After their death, okay. yeah, 
I yeah, think that's okay. Cool. Maybe they maybe they died in the twenties, and that was the thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. I was actually, guys, I was right, and it's kind of fitting with what happened to me this week. It was during this episode that Nana Visitor went into labor with Django. Oh. Django. 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 <laughs> the shower is the sun. Her son by Alex with Alexander Sitting. Uh, an explanation was written into the story that Kira was visiting her lover Shakar on Bajor. Um, Go back to your sabar. And Sabar and Shakar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, she should have been at the birthday party. It made no sense for her not to be. Well, she should um, be away on Bajo. 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 The way he says that, I'm like, no changeling would say it this way. I feel like she that. Away on Bajo. <laughs> I feel like the regular Bashir would ever say that. I have yes, the of course he did. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's almost too page or like he's trying too hard. Okay. Um, in this episode, a malevolent entity pass, uh, possesses Keiko's body, holding her hostage to force O'Brien to help her. While speaking with O'Brien, the entity in Keiko jokingly suggests that the crew will likely try to catch her in some sort of stasis field. In this, uh, in the episode in Star Trek The Next Generation, Power Play, Chief O'Brien's body was possessed by a malevolent entity who similarly held Keiko and Molly and then still a baby hostage. He was briefly forced from O'Brien's body when caught in some sort of electromagnetic state. Stasis field. Yeah. yeah. Evil Troy in that one. Evil Troy. You get some good ones there. Evil Rolaren. Oh, I can't forget Rolaren. Yep. Okay. Always great uh, when people go evil. Always great. Yeah. Um, okay. And, universe, and it's stupid and cliche and terrible. I don't know. Um, Enterprise like will Mary. eventually show you evil Hoshi ro- rocks. So. Awesome. The Hoshi dynasty, the Sato dynasty, should never have fallen. Yep. Yeah. I, I like the mirror, but it can be overdone. Um, you, you, it's le- less is more with the mirror universe. Is is um, what's is is uh Hoshi related to uh what's the Georgiou? Georgiou, yeah. In the no universe. no direct connection made. No, no direct, direct connection. connection. Okay. Because they're like both high up. Like they both basically become emperor, don't they? Yeah, but like a hundred years apart. About yeah, hundred years apart. Okay. Uh, okay. This was Alan Croker. But they do say Giorgio is part of the Sato dynasty. Oh, they do say that in the in oh, the dialogue. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that, but yeah. Maybe, yeah. Okay. Oh. So the maybe seed they are. Of, a seed of Hoshi. There you go. There you mm-hmm. go. Uh, okay, sorry. This is the first time the Paw Race are mentioned at all. And I think it's interesting because uh, Jamil's right. Like, there's not a lot of lore yet. So, like, what are these fire cave things? And what is going on? Um, yeah, we're introduced to the Paw Race through Keiko. <laughs> it's a bit late in the series for them because, because this ultimately does become the finale, right? Like, the yeah. Paw Race play a major yeah. part in the end game here. So, it's like they're, they're being introduced a bit late, but that's okay. Yeah, it's a little bit like Lost when they started like introducing, you know, the Man in Black in like seasons, end of season five. You're like, oh, oh Smoke Monster was there from the beginning, right? But there was no man. Uh, it was except a, when he turned into his dad and well, stood yeah, there on the beach. Never said anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, this was Alan Croker's first Star Trek directing job. Croker would go on to direct almost 40 episodes across DS9, Star Trek, Voyager, and Enterprise, including the finales of the fifth, sixth, and seventh seasons of the show, DS9, the finales of the sixth oh, and seventh wow. seasons of Voyager, and the finales of all four seasons of Enterprise. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, we we don't count that last finale of Enterprise. <laughs> Wait, we don't we don't count it. No. Maybe they checked us out and decided we weren't very interesting. I, I, oh, and, not interesting. And fun fact, he's from Winnipeg. Ooh. Oh. It's Croker, you're saying. Croker, yes. He was uh, originally a cameraman and slash editor. And uh, for, for uh, he did documentaries for uh, the Ca- Canadian National Film Board. Um, but then he, uh, he, then he went on to become a director and got an Oscar nomination actually in 1980 for best documentary feature. So, oh, nice, yeah. So definitely go. an accomplished guy. Uh, okay, so the history of the Celestial Prophets and the Paw Race resembles the plot of John Milton's Paradise Lost, a literary work often alluded to in the original Star Trek show. Um, Star Trek uh, Space Seed and Star Trek Two Space Nine Paradise Lost are examples of this. So that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, okay. So then finally, we have one last fun fact. While speaking to the possessed Keiko at the birthday party, Jake states that he always wanted to meet a paw race, to which Keiko replies, maybe you will. While the actual exchange is a subtle hint about the entity possessing Keiko, it's also foreshadowing the future episode, The Reckoning, in which Jake is also possessed by a paw wraith. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's it. I know we mentioned that earlier, but I thought I would get it. Okay, and that's it for fun facts. There, it was uh, short. All right, but let the fun continue into ratings as we bring uh, the ratings up. Jeff, the assignment. Where where would you put this in season five? How would you uh, rate eight, it? Eight, eight, eight across the board. I mean, to speak for everybody, eight across <laughs> the board. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm probably am an eight on this. Uh, eight eight point three. Eight point three. Ah, there we go. This is a nine for me. I give it a nine. Ooh. Oh wow! I thought you guys were going to be hard on this one. Um, I'm going to give it an eight point five. Well, hey, uh, never mind that thing I said about eight. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley didn't give you a score. No. Okay, Kevin. Uh, nine. Wow. Nine. Okay. Wow. What's going on here? Kevin and I are over on the Enterprise podcast, so we're, we're yeah. our, our standards are lower now. <laughs> hey, that last episode with Hoshi and the pineapple cake was awesome. Awesome. Oh, yeah, it was so good. Yeah. Okay, Davin, what do you think of this episode? That's a nine. It's a nine. Okay. So you- what was Amanda's rating? I didn't ask her her rating. Oh, okay. You should have asked her. I will. Uh, uh, I can ask but you seem to enjoy it. Um. Yeah, she was a little confused by the acting. I will say she was like, "What's going on?" And and she was very confused why Bashir would leave somebody on an operating table. This <laughs> is a change like you're eating a change like don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> must be. So Jeff, what comes after this one? I actually know the answer, but tell All right, well, why don't you why don't you tell us? I'm going to get Amanda's rating. It's trials and tribulations. Oh yes, I knew that because it came on because we watched it on Netflix. Oh, um, I still think Changeling. Oh, I'm gonna look for the clues next week too. Time traveling Changeling. Yep. Yep. Infiltrating Starfleet vessel because that's what they had to do that week. Yep. And do you know what today is? Today, today is Valentine. It's, it's Andrew February. Robinson's birthday. Is it? Okay. Uh, it's it's good. Happy birthday, Andrew Robinson. It was. We also lost Ivan Reitman today, or yesterday, oh, or yesterday, I guess it was. Yes. Ivan I Reitman always, died. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, I always get yeah. confused with um, 
with John Landis. And I'm like, wait, no, Ivan Reitman is the good one who is also right. a good Canadian. person and good father. John Landis is the scumbag with the scumbag son. And that's how I differentiate. John a... Landis. Landis oh, is Max Landis. You're thinking yeah. Max. Yeah. Is it Landis, Landis the... the person who killed two, uh, three people while doing the Twilight Zone um Oh yeah, it didn't well, it was a uh, stunt that went wrong or something, right? Yes, where he had uh, children there um, illegally, and he um, put an unsafe stunt, and you know, yeah, he's a scumbag. Yeah, yeah I've like heard. It. Yeah, okay. Amanda gives it an eight. All right, there you go. So eights across the board, at least. Eights. Yeah, at least. And, that, eights. and that, what you're saying is she's a devoted Star Trek fan now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she, she, you know, she's even going to watch the triple one next week. She's got a lot of uh, time to watch shows with me, so because um, you know we're we're home, we're homebound now. So um, she'll be watching a lot more T six nine. Yeah. Okay. She can, uh, you know, watch Peacemaker and do the Peacemaker podcast. Yeah, we're gonna do Peacemaker. Yeah. Are we? Well, I mean, I don't know about the podcast part, but we're definitely we're gonna <laughs> yeah, watch sure. it. Yeah. Okay. You know, Amanda. Yep. Definitely. We're big, we've, we're big Euphoria fans too. We're, we've been getting right into Euphoria. You can use Zendaya fix, right? The Zendaya fix is strong in this house. Okay. We got okay. Rue. The main character is Rue. We have a Prue. Rue from like Hunger Games. Rue. No, uh, Zendaya's character's name is Rue. Oh, okay. Okay. I've never well, seen you before. Dave, I think you have something to say. I think we have some other shows going on, Jeff. Did you know about those? <laughs> I briefly I've heard about them, yes. But yeah, tell me more. <laughs> well, on Monday nights, Jeff, we talk about Star Trek Enterprise. Kevin Millard and I do with Jody Simpson and Adam Woodward. I don't know if you know, but Hoshi's got a hot plate in her quarters. I've got a hot plate in my quarters. Uh, Jody Simpson uh is on that podcast. He is, yes. And uh, you know, That's we, we break episode. all those episodes down. Great episode. They're all greats. <laughs> they're, they're all greats. <laughs> well, Star okay. Trek will never write a, a B plot again, like her looking for like what he likes to eat. Oh my yeah. god! It doesn't have any explosions in it. Like, right? <laughs> Savor those best, moments. Don't tempt discovery. Those okay. <laughs> the best part was discovery. This Look, whole episode is like nobody knows anything about Lieutenant Reed. The not even his parents, not his sister, <laughs> not his best friend. Yeah, it's like nobody. Know, he occasionally eats, I think. Um, <laughs> that's really all they know about it. Making requests. You're yeah, not he, telling me that they wouldn't do a, a Tilly subplot of her doing that. No, Tilly, maybe. I don't know. That seems straight up Tilly's alley. Anyway, we are, we're, we're going to break it down. Every episode of Enterprise in order, Monday nights, check that out. And then on Thursdays, we're often talking about the newest episode of Star Trek, um, which is uh, this week will be Star Trek Discovery, season four, episode nine. I don't know if you heard about this, guys, but Michael Chan, he's on the show. Did you guys see yes. it? I did not see it yet, but I, I heard he was that working. He was, a, he was acting opposite Oded Fair, yeah. Admiral Charles Vance. You know, do we have any idea where it is? Negative, sir. It's four jumps. Any idea where it's headed? Not yet, sir. All available personnel are looking. Yes, yes. That's from the episode. All available personnel are looking. Yeah, yeah. He's just like the admiral's like, "What's going on?" He's like, "I don't know. We're fine. We're trying to find out." Brings a tear to my. We start calling him Guy. Yeah. So we we got one of our own guys. He's in. He's in the universe. It's bound to boost Star Trek radio theaters ratings. 
Yeah, it's bound to, you know, and and on that segue, yeah. So check it out Thursday. I'll be talking about that with Ashley Millard, uh, Adam Woodward, and Michael Chan, Discovery's own Michael Chan. And then coming up this Saturday, guys, we have our next edition of Star Trek Radio Theater, starting off season three with looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. An episode we covered just two weeks ago here on the D Space Nine and Nine ish podcast. We got Davin playing Bashir and Tarek. Um, by the way, I thought this episode that we just watched, Dave, would be great also for radio theater. Not as good as this one, maybe not. Well, come on, <laughs> it's it's good. We're not comparing be, them. Would you this episode would be, would, this episode would make a fine radio theater as well. I, I just think that this this was uh, we loved this one so much when we except for Jeff. Um, so uh, but Jeff's not in this pot, this uh, radio theater, so uh, you know, like, well, but, I don't care about Dax and Worf and. Uh, yeah, you don't like anything with love. You 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 have no heart in your uh, <laughs> no. your heart for Parmok. No, I just don't like their relationship. I don't. I think it's uh, it's not for me. <laughs> yeah, you're not for you. All right, and that's <laughs> coming up. You're not for you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, looking for Parmok this Saturday night live read. Uh, and then Jeff, guess what? We got another radio theater lined up for March 5th. We got Steve Shives coming back joining us as he we're going to be doing the episode hiding Q from next generation's first season uh jody simpson playing q and steve shives playing Riker again steve shives is coming back he's coming back oh wow that's great yeah march 5th let's check that out i and won't call so, him shivs next time don't call him shivs <laughs> yes. <laughs> um and then uh we have super mater brothers podcasting right now we we're covering celebrity big brother three uh we, we we're not trying to do every episode it's just too much so but we we'll on this when we'll be on tomorrow night to talk about uh episodes seven through ten uh, <laughs> yeah we'll we'll break it all down we're yeah. breaking down all those episodes all those hohs uh, there's like six evictions in those four episodes i think so uh we're gonna break it all down tomorrow night and talk just catch up on where the season's at with uh, jameel and jeff and i yes and where it's at is in the dumpster but you're you'll not see liking, exactly why you're not enjoying Todrick. no this season sucks okay uh, jameel's out on it but uh, you know like uh, we got so like I, two players playing it's pretty yeah, bad I think, there's, I think there's more positivity what, than that Todrick and lamar's fingernails right those mm. two well, Lamar, okay, that was just gross. When Lamar was voting and chewing on his fingernails for like yeah, a minute, Julie was like, We have a live show, you know. She's like, You know, you're on live TV, Lamar Odom. Um, anyway, Some nervous like, tick. Yeah, I guess. All right. Um, anyway, so we'll be talking about that. And then uh, Super or Trivial Debates, our show where we argue about movies, TV, sports, game show format, Battle Royale style. The next episode coming up, we got Jeff Mater hosting. We got Jamil Robinson competing alongside Jody oh, Simpson dear. and Max Duda. Throwing you know, money and- down on Jamil right now. Oh, yeah, I got to do my questions. Okay, yeah, that's coming up. Get your questions. That's coming up on February 27th. Uh, so save the date. Expect a payday, Devin. Yeah, oh, and then yeah, da- make sure to check out Davin's podcast. He's got uh, locutors oh, yeah. of Trek. We do, right? We do. Yep. And, yep. Debate and nine so we have champion. A debate nine coming up soon. Yep. Yep. Jeff is a great debate nine champion. And your X Men the uh, animated series X rated. Yes, uh, season finale of season one coming up next week, which you're gonna be on. I'm on that one. Day. Yes, it was supposed to be tonight, yeah. but it's got pushed out for the internet. Uh, yeah, the, the I was moving it. No internet. It was terrible. Season finale. You know, next week we're also interviewing Eric and Julia Lewald, who were the story editor and one of the writers on the animated series. Are you gonna get Allison Court? 
I, I, I sent her a message. She never got back to me. I, I know someone who knows her, so maybe we should hook it up. Oh, hey, yeah. Hey. Yes. I'm a fan. The finale I'm, a fan. I'm an Allison Court fan. Yeah. The finale has like my favorite finale, like piece of dialogue where like Professor X is like, but my watch has stopped. And they're like, what does that mean, it's Chuck? Magnetized. It's been magnetized. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. It's just Yeah, that was a great ending. I remember that ending. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that, that what we're talking the, about? No, that was in the end of Deep uh, Days of Future Past Part Two that we just did two yeah. hours ago. Yeah, because you don't see Magneto coming, and then it's Magneto. You know? No, no. Um, and uh, I think those are oh, and check out Eamon Mater's podcast. Let's talk about fighting games, uh, where he talks about fighting video games and uh, under his alias Sam Jerka. Yeah, yeah. A new episode was just posted February twelfth, so that's yeah. exciting. Did, I, I wonder if he talked about the Nintendo Direct that just came out. You got to listen to find out. See, he dropped he dropped an episode on Prudence's birthday. He dropped it on the birthday. Yeah, it was called the start. It's season two. It was a season two uh, premiere, which he does with uh, Sonic Smash Bros. Seth and Paranoia. Awesome. All right. Well, she'll be able to listen to that. I'll be able to say you were born on the day Eamon recorded this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Your cousin Eamon. <laughs> yeah. Cousin Eamon. Okay. A Savoy. A Savoy. One of the Savoys. Okay, Dave, is that uh, it? That's it. House is growing. Okay. How's what? The house is growing of Savoy. Oh, the house. Oh, the house of Savoy is growing. Oh, One more power, yeah. wealth, and in in prominence. Right. Yep. Dave is the, possibly the king of Italy. So yeah, we have that. Possibly. Uh, well, well, all of like us. That from King that. Ralph movie. Remember that? <laughs> if like twenty three of them get blown up in a photograph, Dave's next in line. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's basically Caesar. Yeah, this okay. is how I figure out if I'm if I'm royalty, and then I just gotta take over. So, uh, but on that note, Jeff, I think we can close out the podcast. Okay. Uh, and, yes, uh, my lord. And uh, and, and, and Ducat, <laughs> let's. Uh, why don't you take <laughs> us away? Yeah, let's have Ducat take us away. I've enjoyed your company as always, but it appears it is time we said goodbye. Good luck in podcast. Good night. See. You. Oh, thank you. <laughs>